Hey, this is Sean Tepper, the host of Payback Time, an approachable and transparent podcast on building businesses, increasing wealth, and achieving financial freedom. I'd like to bring on guests to hear authentic stories while giving you actionable takeaways you can use today. Let's go. In Ticker, we tend to look for more mid-cap, large-cap, and mega-cap stocks because they tend to be a little safer. Well, my next guest has a hedge fund that specifically invests in small-cap stocks. Now, to give you context, he's been able to beat the market for the last 12 years, and most hedge funds, believe it or not, they last between like three and seven years at most. So beating the market for that long tells us he's doing something right. So in this episode, he talks about what kind of companies he looks for, what kind of companies he avoids, and what metrics are most important. Please welcome Kyle Mowry. Kyle, welcome to the show. Good day, thank you for your time. Thanks for joining me. So why don't you kick us off and tell us about your background? Well, my background is certainly non-traditional. Um, today, I am uh, managing a small cap equity portfolio. Uh, long and short, I've been doing that for 12 years. So uh, there's a certain longevity there. Um, but originally, um, I grew up playing sports. I grew up playing uh, baseball out in California, played through high school, college, and then wrapped up my career and said, boy, I sure like doing competitive things and I like numbers and and investing just spoke to me and a couple stops along the way. And, and, and I launched Grizzly Rock Capital in 2012. Nice. Now, prior to starting this uh, fund, you worked in a hedge fund. Is that correct? Yeah, I had a pretty non-traditional path. I started at a fund of hedge funds called PAMCO, which is now PAMCO Prisma out on the West Coast in an analyst training program, sure. but um, definitely not the traditional investment banking, private equity background. But then from there, I worked in high yield credit. I really liked how the credit managers thought about risk versus return, focusing on a downside mitigation first, you know, and Last couple of years, only people only thought about that in 2022, but uh, it's worth thinking about. And if you're as old as I am, you were investing in the great financial crisis of 08. So yeah, you know, we think about risk every day here, um, regardless of whether the market's thinking about it or not. I'm doing the math here, going back 12 years. So you started your fund right there, what, about 09, 2010, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. No, I so I graduated business school. Let's see, December of 2011. I went um, in the evening, actually, same program, same degree, just sure. in the evening. And so then I launched uh, right then. I was I was 29, married, uh, but no kids at the time and no mortgage. So you can take a lot of entrepreneur, entrepreneurial risk when you're 29 with no kids and no mortgage. <laughs> right on. Um, so I have to point this out, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I know the average lifespan of a hedge fund, it can be like, what, about three years, four years? Is that correct? It depends on how biased of a source you want to cite. I've heard seven. Okay. Um, so that I told my wife uh, when I hit eight that I was at least above average in this one category. And uh, <laughs> I didn't have the the guts to put that in my uh, letter to clients. But uh, yeah, it's a good it's a good verbal joke. Right on. Yeah. Playing a little money ball there, um, getting above your averages. But at 12 years, that says something like you're doing something right there. Now, for context with audience here, if you guys don't already know, you know, Ticker is really focused on 
you know, investing in strong value stocks. We like to look at more like mid cap, large cap, mega cap. Um, so we do gravitate away from those small cap and micro cap. But this is your area. This is your specialty. So I want to learn what do you what are you looking at when you look for small cap? Yeah, I will try and keep this brief. I mean, so we fundamentally speaking are are free cash flow oriented. We're looking for businesses that are mispriced and misunderstood, businesses that can grow and generate owner's earnings and and significant cash flow, not only not only now, but inflecting higher in the out periods. Specifically as it relates to large, mid versus small and micro, I would say that, you know, small caps are a bit of the Wild West. The management teams are usually subpar vis-a-vis mid or large cap. The boards can be absolutely awful. They're there for salary many times. And we're not activist investors, by the way. These are just, you know, broader comments, things to be aware of. But I think for us, the reason I chose this asset class was it's just less less efficient, right? Um, and it's a it's a good way, in my opinion, to have active management into small caps vis-a-vis, you know, some of the, you know, go, you go back to like David Swenson and some of the, you know, looking for asset classes that require active management and what are those? You know, certainly, you know, real estate, private assets, yeah. private equity, private credit, et cetera, would fall in that bucket. Some of the other things, I don't know much about like crypto, but commodities or whatnot, but small caps are sort of straddling that landscape, in in my opinion. So I was just going to touch on asset classes of small caps. So that does include businesses and real estate? No, we don't do real estate. I was just using it as an example oh, okay. of where it's really hard to use um, passive, passive indices. Yep. Um, you know, there's a case for passive, there's a case for active, you know, uh, for each asset class, but I think it's a lot stronger in, um, you know, obviously sure. private equity on one side and you know, QQQ on the other side, there's just more more correlation in a large cap manager and QQQ than, um, you know, between, say, private equity uh, return streams, middle market, large market, sure. you know, tech versus industrial, stuff like that. So my audience, they can be quite technical and, and just give you a little context on what we're looking at within Ticker. And you touched on free cash flow. We do look, do look at that. We also look at the revenue, we want to see that increasing year over year for about five years. Same thing with net income and EPS. And then going over to the balance sheet, we like to see the assets and equity increasing. So what are you specifically looking for? It sounds like free cash flow is one, but what else? Yeah, so for us, our holding period is two to four years. Okay. Um, so what we're looking for is an inflection in earnings. And so for us, we would not require uh, five years of, of trailing growth. We do a lot in cyclicals. We do a lot in businesses that all of a sudden screen poorly for whatever reason. Businesses that are coming out of a period of of debt paydown and now are entering a period of of capital return to shareholders. Um, businesses where um, it's an operational turnaround that's been in play, um, you know, going for a, a year or two, and you know, you can really do the work, understand the industry, products, uh, the gross, you know, margin profile of the business, and then have a sense for what the business, you know, could or should look like over the next, again, two, three, four years. And then that's something that we, after, you know, diligence, which is uh, significant, as significant as possible in the public market with public information, you know, that's, that's how we, uh, that's how we make our, our, our return. I, uh, I very much align with their strategy there. Although I, I don't love 
small cap and micro cap can be very risky, but the inflection point of yeah. earnings, yeah. that is something I have talked about our audience a lot is pay attention yeah. to those finance. Like if you see a EPS yep. go from like negative three up to like a dollar and five cents, it's like, whoa, what's yeah. going on here, right? Yeah. Um, so that that's awesome. How do you how do you keep your finger on the pulse of these stocks? Because they're not in the new, you know, they're not the high flying newsworthy yeah. stocks we hear every day, like the yeah. Magnificent Seven. So how do you keep your eye on these stocks? Well, we got a great team. Uh, we have um, my partner, Mike Holt here in Chicago, and then Jake Miller, uh, who's uh, out of New York. So we we sort of, uh, there's a post COVID, you know, COVID enabled uh, virtual so, sort of co company with Jake in New York. and. We've all been doing small caps basically our whole career. Mm -hmm. And so we have a folder on 800 companies where we've done real work. Now, we're not up to speed on 800 companies today with respect to our pencil being sharp, but yeah, probably 150, 175. Wow. Uh, that would be longs plus shorts. I mean, yeah, but there's three of us, right? And we're all okay. uh, work very hard and have, uh, have a good knowledge base. So, you know, we don't get them all right. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. You know, landscape changes. There's a lot going on in the macro economy, Fed, et cetera. But um, but if you get more right than wrong, that's that's staying power and longevity. That's it. Can you share with us what kind of returns you're usually returning for your customers? Yeah, so we run private funds, so I can't disclose that. Um, okay. But let me just say that, you know, we are targeting businesses that are going to earn, you know, 50 plus percent over, you know, two to four years. Uh, 50 would be something like more like a two year return. So, you know, some of those won't, won't work. Some of them do work. So kind of you can do a little math there. You can get into, you know, we, we would aim for a double digit return, but never, never, um, you know, never get quite exactly there. Sometimes higher, sometimes lower. Sure. But yeah, reductions of, you know, drawing down is the worst possible thing you can do. You go backwards, clients get nervous, uh, put stress on the team. So our approach is... Uh, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, zero steps back. And you just kind of keep moving forward in that manner. That's the game of small caps for sure. Um, so I'm hearing about two to four year holding period returns above about 50% over two years. Do the simple math about 25% a year. As you said, double digit returns. That's pretty good. I mean, that's that's beating the market. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we get some of them would get wrong, right? So that would come away from that twenty five percent. But yeah, sure. I mean, just directionally, that's the type of thing that we're that we're uh, working on when we're doing our our fundamental sure. diligence up front. Our audience loves hearing uh, lessons learned, so they can avoid the same uh, pitfalls. Can you share? You said you don't you don't get them all right. Can you share with us maybe a, a lesson learned or a stock you shouldn't have invested in, and why? That's a great question. I mean, we we definitely have had a number of these, um, whether the industry has changed or, you know, sentiment has changed. You know, living in the public markets requires uh, being able to deal with uh, getting a mark every day and a mark set by the marginal buyer or seller, which may or may not be uh, thinking about the same things that you are on, on a company. I think that for us, um, some of the... The uh, mistakes have been in getting into names that are overowned by the hedge fund community, um, okay. things that are very, very popular. And then when everyone wants to exit, you're, everyone's trying to exit once. Mm -hmm. They'll have a very similar thesis. These are areas that can lead to a quick loss in a public market setting um, where you got to know um, not only 
why the person is selling it when you get in, but who's going to buy it on the way out, right? And so we think about that a lot more than we used to. Fundamentals still, ultimately, you know, the earnings power of the businesses, for most businesses who are not, you know, narrative-driven or story stocks, right, are driven by earnings. And so if you get the earnings right, you're going to get a lot of the move right. But at the same time, you know, if you can enter at a low multiple of earnings and 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 earnings that are rising, that's kind of a double whammy. Sometimes when it's clearly seen, it's priced in. Even if earnings goes up, you don't make much money and your return on time is lower. Uh, my, my contribution to the industry is a metric called ROAS, and that would be return on analyst stress. Um, if something has a has a low ROAS, we try to avoid it. I, I did not do that my first five or six years in the business and uh, lost a lost a few hairs in the process, but we've we've learned our lesson. I love that. Little uh little humility there. All right. Let's take a quick commercial break. Are you a beginner investor and want to increase your confidence with investing? Ticker EDU is now live, which includes investing courses. The first course is titled Stock Investing for Beginners, which includes over 60 videos that take you through modules, including overcoming myths, the difference between stocks, ETFs, index funds, and mutual funds, investing versus trading, the number one reason why stocks go up and down, knowing when to buy, knowing when to sell, increasing confidence, how to invest your first thousand dollars and real life examples. It's like looking over my shoulder to see how I buy and sell stocks. Simply go to edu.ticker.com or go to ticker.com and click the courses link at the top of the page. Okay, back to the show. Um, you're a baseball guy. Can you talk about a home run you were really impressed with maybe the last two, three years? Yeah, so don't want to Cherry pick, so I'll pick something we presented publicly. Uh, we're, we're down in um, Chicago, and in Chicago, there's a, a wonderful uh, charitable organization called Invest for Kids. It's kind of Chicago's version of the Iris Zone Conference. Um, for here, it raises money for underprivileged um, communities, uh, kids through different organizations. It's a wonderful organization. The, the organizers uh, sponsor 100% of the cost of putting it on, so every dollar that's raised goes directly to the to the kids. And it's a great, so they, they asked us to come and present an idea. So in the fall of 2019, before the world sort of uh, mm -hmm. rolled over into COVID, we presented Darling Ingredients. Um, I believe the stock was in around 19 or, or 20 at the time. It's yeah. now at 50 uh, by way of um, 75 or 80. So we were, we were right for the right reason with respect to the, what we disclosed, which was, know, uh, renewable diesel changing business from diesel, diesel uh, trucking, uh, primarily in California to uh, running on on uh, chemically identical diesel, which was uh, derived from used greases, fats and whatnot. So carbon, carbon reducing fuel, better for the environment and certainly profitable for early mover, such as Darling Ingredients. So that was a name that we presented publicly mm -hmm. um, that had ultimately worked out. To drill into that, I, I do talk to the audience a little bit here, breaking the fourth wall. Um, what Kyle places a lot of emphasis on is we we talk, you know, you guys know me talking about the four M's. Kyle, so you know that's the first M is the the margin of safety. It's the math part of investing. Then we look at that meaning, moat management. Meaning is a business model. How many revenue streams? How scalable are those streams? Moat, how does it compare to 
businesses in the same sector and industry management, of course, there's a track record of that CEO or leadership team. So you, in a hedge fund, you really have to place a lot of emphasis, especially when you're looking at small cap um, on that, those other three M's, that meaning, moat, and management. What you just described there really sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah, that's the goal. I mean, the unit economics, unit economics, if you can't distill that down on the on the product or service, then uh, and really get your arms around it. We don't even try, right? Sure. So, you know, something we don't do would be like a lot of like emerging battery technology because we don't know what the what the mm. unit economics are going to look at look like in, you know, say five to ten years. So that would be something where we just, even if the story was great, we can't get our arms around it. We might look at it and keep it on our watch list and our radar, but that's not something that's going to get actually into the portfolio for us. I, I was going to dive into what you look for and what you avoid. So, okay, so that's good to know, like emerging battery tech, you probably avoid. What do you, do you gravitate towards a certain industry or type business model more than others? Yeah, so we're in... Um, you know, we're, we're Midwestern in uh, geography and Midwestern in approach. You know, we do a lot in industrials. Uh, we do a lot in business services, consumer. You know, there's many, many funds out there that specialize in tech and 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 healthcare. And those tend to be really good uh, sectors for specialists. But we're generalists. So we run pretty broad. Um and that would be, you know, real businesses, things that we can understand, products and services. And and technological innovation is always there in every industry, but there's some industries that have it more than others. And if you can get uh, your eyes out, you know, a few years and you don't have to go out a decade or more, that is a lot easier for us, for our style and our proclivities. I think that's really important as an investor, f- focusing on what you're good at, because, you know, one investor who's great at VCs, or growth equity is going to be completely different than say me, right? And they shouldn't right. try and play my game and I shouldn't try and play theirs. So I think sticking to that lane is so important. Right. Is aside from the the battery example, is there maybe another industry you tend to avoid? Well, healthcare is just very challenging for a non-specialist, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, especially pharma or some of these things. There are some extremely intelligent, you know, a lot of ex-doctors who end up being uh, investors end up in, you know, these healthcare funds and you don't want to compete with them unless you have that background. I mean, the <laughs> skill and talent there is just mind mind boggling. That's really good perspective. In our audience, I joke with, you know, I, I knew I've been in tech about 20 years. So I, I, I know that industry, I tend to invest in it a little heavier, but do I know sure. pharma? No, I don't, I don't know much about pharma. Sure. So I avoid, <laughs> I avoid yeah. it like the plague. Well, and that, you know, for asset classes like that, if you're thinking about a, an overall broader asset allocation model, you know, there's a lot of wonderfully uh, cheap indexes for things that you can right. active where you can add value, index where you don't. And I think that, you know, kind of that, that meshes well together overall. Um, let's switch gears slightly here. Um, hedge funds can invest in private and public companies. Do you have a mix of both or are they all public? Yeah, we do a few privates here and there. We also do okay. some high yield credit, which is where I got my start. Um, so yes, those would be in our in our sweet spot, but primarily it's public equity. Public, nice, good for you. Okay, and then with your fund as your requirements, um, um, your uh, drawing a blank on the name here. Um, yeah, it's a accredited investor. Accredited it's a private fund. Yeah, it's it's not for everybody, but it. 
we tend to have a lot of family offices uh, and and high net worth that have been with us for a long time, and we work with certain institutions on um on a bespoke basis. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, do you have a minimum investment size? It's about a quarter million dollars. Okay. Gotcha. To get in. Cool. All right. Well, before we jump to the rapid fire round, is there maybe an investing tip or takeaway you can give our audience? Well, it's funny. We're we're uh, sitting here on December the fourteenth. And the Fed has just come out and said they're going to cut and stocks are going uh, straight up. Everything's going straight up. Um, you know, I think the more business-like the investing for us, it makes more sense. Playing the market sentiment game can be profitable for a while, but it, it tends to, things tend to zig when you expect it to zag. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I, Sean, have been doing this a long time. And, you know, there's many times where you think you got it, dead to rights, and then everything changes. And I think thinking about portfolio optimization and, and and compounding returns over decades requires a process. And so the more process driven and the more, you know, business-like the investing process is, uh, that for me has been uh, an area of success historically. Can you because uh, some people at a surface level might not know what that means. Could you go a layer deeper and kind of explain that from a tactical standpoint, like processes? Maybe explain your process a little bit. Yeah, well, not too dissimilar from 30,000 feet from yours. You're looking for a um, sort of a, a, a growing earnings stream, whether it's revenue, profit, whatnot, mm-hmm. as you enumerated a bit ago. Uh, for us, it's similar, but you know we can have a little bit more esoteric companies because we'll do cyclical companies, uh, companies that are cyclical, but just at at its base level, it's understand the product, understand the margin profile, understand how that's going to translate to earnings, and then understand the management and the board. Because when you're investing in a public security, those people are allocating your capital. And a lot of times you, you go online and punch in a ticker and hit buy. That's great. But there's actually people running that business. So who are the people and what are the capital allocations decisions they're making? I'd say many attract many small caps that appear attractive are actually wildly unattractive due to poor capital allocation. You see it everywhere all the time. Um, if, if that's what you do is study small caps all day, which we do. So, um, yeah, I would just say, you know, study the business, study the capital allocation. Yeah. And if you believe that the market is missing something, that's when, you know, that that margin of safety, the difference, margin of safety is just a difference in, in prices, what you pay, values, what you get to quote, you know, Buffett. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's the fundamental tome of value investing. Right on, right on. Awesome. Love the strategy here. Thanks for the insight on small cap investing, but let's transition to the rapid fire round. This is the part of the episode where we get to find out who Kyle really is, if you can. Try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less. You ready? Oh, boy. 15. Okay. Rapid fire. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. What is your favorite podcast? Well, I'm personally friends uh, with Bill Brewster, who hosts The Business Brew. Um, so I would probably select that one. Okay. What is a recent book you read and would recommend? Yeah, I read um, I read mostly for investing. But over the summer, I read Peter Atiyah's Outlive. Phenomenal book and actually really deep um, on the mental and emotional side at the end. So definitely read the full thing. Okay, good to know. All right, so we've got the movie question here. What is your favorite movie? Oh man, that's uh, so many. To pick one single movie, 
Probably. <laughs> I I don't even know. Braveheart. Okay, we've heard that one. Let's narrow it down to because you're a sports guy. What is your favorite sports movie? Uh, I used to watch Major League uh, before every <laughs> baseball season started. Now that's dating me. So it's a great movie, classic Charlie Sheen, right? All right. What is the worst advice you ever received? If you're smart, you don't have to sell. Mm. And flip that equation. What is the best advice you ever received? One of my one of my investors has been been a partner, you know, over here for over a decade. Very successful individual. Everyone would have heard his his name. He said, "Be true to who you are. Be true to yourself." And most people have these skills, and if they a certain skill set, and if they apply it, things go well for them. Right on. All right. And last question here is a time machine question. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would he visit, and what would you say? Oh, I go back to 2012 and I started the fun and say, go long, big tech. <laughs> right on. Sweet. All right. Well, where can people reach you? Yeah, it's, uh, our business is private, but uh, in, info at grizzlyrockcapital.com if you want to get on our on our list, assuming you're accredited. Uh, also, we have uh, a sister business that has a Twitter handle, Covest Select. On the Twitter machine, that that business uh, invests in single name public equities. So, awesome! All right, Kyle. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sean. All right, we'll see ya. Hey, I'd like to say thank you for checking out this podcast. I know there's a lot of other podcasts out there you could be listening to, so thanks for spending some time with me. And if you have a moment, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. The more reviews we get, especially five-star reviews, the higher this podcast will rank in Apple. So thanks for doing that. And remember, this show is for entertainment purposes only. If you heard any stocks mentioned on this podcast, please do not buy or sell those stocks based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks for your time. We'll see ya.